Section 23 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shreya Sethi. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, Chapter 5. The Good Landgrave Takes the Cross. His Death. The happiness of Elizabeth at her husband's return was but the prelude to a far more sorrowful parting. Germany was now ringing far and wide with the preparation of a new crusade. Scarcely forty years had passed away since the exploits of Richard of the Lionheart had stirred every brave spirit in Europe, and the splendid success of the Fourth Crusade, which had seated a French knight on the throne of the emperors of the East and thus swept away a lurking and treacherous foe from the path to the sepulchre of Christ, seemed to call loudly on the chivalry of Christendom once more to set lance in right for its deliverance. The heart of Frederick II had little sympathy with the noble instincts which attracted all faithful and loyal knights to Palestine, Yet he was forced to yield at last to the repeated summons of Honorius III and Gregory the Ninth, and to call upon all the faithful of his empire to be ready to follow him to the Holy Land. The autumn of 1227, no sword was more promptly offered to the sacred cause than that of the young Landgrave of Thuringia, Louis the Pious. The brother and predecessor of his father had fought bravely in Palestine with Coeur de Leon and Philippe Augustus and King Andrew of Hungary. The father of his beloved Elizabeth had spent years of his life in the East in conflict with the infidels. Louis longed to draw his sword in the same quarter and eagerly accepted the flower of Christ as the cross worn by the crusaders was called in Germany from the hands of the venerable bishop of Hildesheim. But as he rode home, his heart sank within him at the thought of the anguish he was about to inflict upon his beloved wife now soon to give birth to their fourth child and he determined to conceal his intent if possible until the near time when he must carry it into effect instead therefore of wearing the cross openly as was the custom with those about to engage in a crusade he contented himself with carrying it secretly about him but one evening as she was sitting by him elizabeth playfully unfastened his girdle and began to examine the contents of his purse which was fastened to it the cross usually worn by crusaders fell out of the purse as she opened it and in a moment she understood the full extent of the misfortune which threatened her and sank senseless on the floor her terrified husband raised her tenderly and when she came to herself sought to soothe her by the most affectionate and cheering words he appealed to that faith and piety which he well knew to be the ruling principles of her life it is for the love of our lord jesus christ said he that i go you would not hinder me from doing for god what i should be obliged in honour to do for a temporal prince for the empire and for the emperor were he to command me after a long fit of silent weeping she said to him dear brother if it be not against the will of god stay with me but he replied dear sister let me go for i have made a vow to god then elizabeth recollected herself she made an offering of her will to the will of god and said to louis against the will of god i will not keep thee 
May God give thee grace to do his will in all things. I have made him the sacrifice of thee and of myself. May his goodness watch over thee. May all blessings be with thee forever. This shall be my unceasing prayer. Go then in the name of God. After another long silence, they spoke of their unborn child, whom they resolved to consecrate to God from the moment of its birth. If a son in the abbey of Ramsador, if a daughter in the convent of Aldenburg, the landgrave having no longer any reason for concealing his intention, Kurtzberg, before which he laid a plan for the government for the country during his absence, and exhorted the nobles who were to remain behind to rule their vassals with mildness and equity, and to preserve peace among themselves. Before the assembly broke up, he addressed it in the following words, which have been preserved by his chaplain, Berthold, who attended him constantly during the latter years of his life. Dear and faithful brothers in arms, barons, lords, and noble knights, and you, my faithful people, you know that in the lifetime of my princely father of pious memory, our country had to endure many cruel wars and long seasons of calamity. You know what labours, toils and hardships my father sustained to preserve his dominions from utter ruin. He succeeded at last by dint of courage and generosity, and his name is held in honour among us. But to me, God has granted, as to Solomon the son of David, peace and quiet days. I see no neighbours around me from whom I have anything to fear as no man hath cause to dread lawless violence from me. You ought all to acknowledge this grace from God and to give him thanks for it. As to me, for the love of God, who has crowned me with his favours, to testify my gratitude to him and for the salvation of my soul, I am going now into the land of the East to comfort and relieve that dear Christendom which is there most cruelly oppressed and to defend it from the enemies of the name and blood of God. I shall make this expedition at my own cost and without imposing any new burthen upon you, my loving subjects. I commend to the protection of the Most High, my good and dearly loved wife, my little children, my dear brothers, my friends, my people and my country, all in short that I willingly leave for the honour of His holy name. I strictly charge you to keep peace together during my absence. I specially exhort the nobles to bear themselves like Christian men towards my poor people. Lastly, I beseech you all most earnestly to pray much to God for me, that he may preserve me from all misfortunes during this voyage and bring me back among you safe and sound, if such be his holy will. For before all things I submit myself and you and all that I have to the good pleasure of his divine majesty. As the young landgrave thus addressed the assembly in a voice which bore witness of the deep emotions of his heart, sobs burst forth from the steel-clad breasts around him, and tears rolled down the cheeks of the old warriors who had gone forth to battle with his father. Having arranged all his affairs, he specially commended his wife to the care of his mother, his brothers, and the ministers of his household. I know well, said the cellarer, that my lady the Landrevine will give away everything she can lay her hands on and bring us all to want. I care little for that, said Louis. God will be sure to restore whatever she gives away. 
The Landgrave visited all the religious houses in Eisenach to bestow a parting alms and ask prayers and blessings in return, and then, accompanied by his whole family, paid a last visit to his beloved monastery of Reinhardsbronn. As the monks, according to custom, left the choir after Compline to receive the holy water, the prince, standing beside the officiating priest, embraced each religious as he passed, and even lifted up each little chorister as he went by to imprint a fatherly kiss upon his brow. The religious melted into tears, and the landgrave himself was overcome by a sort of presentiment of the sorrows which were to follow his departure. From Reinhardsbrunn, he proceeded to Smallcall, where he had appointed the knights to meet him who were to accompany him to the Holy Land. There he was to take leave of his wife, his mother, and all who were dear to him. He took his brother Henry aside and said to him, I have done what I could do to walk in the path of salvation, and there is but one thing which troubles me now. It is that I have hitherto neglected to observe an injunction given me by my father to destroy the castle of Eterberg, which was erected to the injury of the neighbouring convent. I pray you, therefore, sweet brother, to level it to the ground as soon as I am gone. It will be for the salvation of your soul. At last, the day of departure came, which had been fixed for the nativity of St. John the Baptist. Louis was surrounded by all the knights from the extremities of his dominions and by the people who crowded round to take a last farewell of their beloved prince. He affectionately blessed his two weeping brothers, to whom he earnestly commended his mother, his children, and his Elizabeth. His little children hung upon him and cried bitterly as they bade him farewell, saying in their baby language, Good night, dear father, many thousand times, good night. Dear precious father, footnote, Herz goldener Vater, heart's golden father. He could not restrain his tears as he embraced them, but when he turned to his beloved Elizabeth, the strong man's heart gave way utterly, and his sobs choked his utterance. He threw one arm round her and the other round his mother, and held them both silently to his heart. At last he said, My dearest mother, I must leave you, but I leave you in my place your two other sons, Henry and Conrad. I commend to you my wife, whose anguish you see. When at last he tore himself from the arms of his mother, Louis found that he was still hemmed in the way by the knights, who were to remain behind, and by crowds of the common people to whom he had never been so gracious a lord and so tender a father. They pressed round to embrace him, to kiss his hand, or at least to touch his clothes. But these were not the only partings that day. Among the host of crusaders who were to accompany the landgrave, many a busting heart was struggling with the feelings of husband, father, son, or brother, and the low moanings of wife, mother, and child mingled strangely with the triumphant swell of the hymns in which the crusaders were returning thanks to God that he had deigned to call them to do battle for his name. Louis broke from the loving arms around him and, springing upon his horse, joined his voice to theirs, who with heart and mouth were praising the Lord. Elizabeth was still by his side. She could not bear to bid him farewell with the others and obtained leave to accompany him as far as the frontiers of Thuringia. They rode in silence side by side, having no heart to speak. When they came to the frontier, Elizabeth begged to go a little farther still and made another day's journey, and after that, another. For she knew not how to leave him, nor he how to bid her depart. 
At the end of the second day, the Lord of Farilla, the son of the true and faithful friend of Elizabeth, who had stood by her in all her early troubles, drew near to his lord and said, My gracious lord, it is time for my lady the Langrevine to return. Bid her depart, for indeed it must be. Then, as if they recognized the will of God in the words of this faithful servant, those two loving hearts clung to each other with a last embrace. It seemed even then as if they could not part. At last, Louis, mastering his grief, gave the signal for departure. He showed his wife a signet ring, which he wore, and said, Elizabeth, my truest, dearest sister, mark well this ring on which is engraven the lamb of God and his banner. Let this be to thee a sure and certain token in all that relates to me. Whoever shall bring thee this ring, dear and faithful sister, and shall bring thee tidings of my life or death, believe thou whatever he shall tell thee. And then he added, May the Lord bless thee, my own sweetest little Elizabeth, my heart's own loved sister, my precious treasure. May our dear Lord keep up thine heart and thy courage. May he bless the babe which thou bearest in thy bosom. We will do with it what we have promised him. Farewell. Remember our wedded life and our true and holy love. Never forget me in any of thy prayers. Farewell. I may stay no longer. And he departed. Elizabeth gazed after him in silent anguish, straining her eyes to catch the last glimpse of that beloved form which her heart sadly foreboded she could see no more on earth, and then retraced her melancholy way to her desolate home. She there laid aside her royal robes to assume the widow's dress, to which she was so soon to acquire a mournful right. The bitter parting once over, the spirit of the devoted crusader and adventurous knight rose with the joy of a noble heart in conflict and sacrifice. He was leading a goodly company to the rescue of the sepulchre of Christ. Among his own vassalage were five counts and a numerous train of barons, knights and esquires, five priests among whom was Berthold, his chaplain and chronicler, accompanied the army to administer to its spiritual wants. Besides his own vassals, the Landgrave as commander-in-chief of the crusaders of central Germany was followed by a train of knights from Swabia, Franconia, and the banks of the Rhine. This gallant army joined the emperor in Apulia about the end of August. Scarcely, however, had the crusaders embarked for Palestine when a fatal fever broke out among them, to which the young landgrave of Thuringia was one of the first to fall a victim. He received the last sacraments from the hands of the Patriarch of Jerusalem, and died in a spirit of loving resignation worthy of a true soldier of Christ. Not a shadow of regret seemed to cross his mind at dying thus far from home, and friends and children, from the subjects to whom he had been so just and gracious a prince, and from the wife whom he loved with so single and devoted an affection, dying also without a sight of the sepulchre of Christ, and without having been allowed to strike a blow for its deliverance. It was enough for him to die under the banner of Christ. He had lived for God and in God, and he was well content to die at the moment and at the post assigned by him. Louis charged some of his knights to return home to bear his ring and the tidings of his death to his Elizabeth, and he besought those around him in the name of God and Our Lady to remember him if they should survive their holy enterprise. 
to carry back his bones to Thuringia and to bury them at Reinhardt's bone and never to forget him in their prayers. A few minutes before he died, he saw a number of white doves hovering over his head and exclaimed, See, see, these snow-white doves! They thought he was delirious. A moment afterwards, he said, I must go with those beautiful doves. With these words on his lips, he fell asleep in the Lord, and the eyes of his chaplain, Berthold, were open to behold the doves of which he spoke, on their flight towards the east, bearing with them, doubtless, to the son of eternal justice, that young soul which had preserved throughout its mortal pilgrimage a whiteness and innocence like theirs. Deep and true was the mourning of his companions in arms. Alas! they cried dear lord good night why have you left us thus exiles on a foreign land woe to us for we have lost the light of our eyes the leader of our pilgrimage the hope of our return they solemnly swore to fulfil their lord's last commands in the event of their surviving the crusade and then went on their way to accomplish their war the knights charged with the sad office of bearing to Thuringia the tidings of the landgrave's death had a long and heavy journey to make and did not arrive there till the beginning of winter. Elizabeth had just given birth to her fourth child, Gertrude, and was unable to see the messengers when they arrived. They therefore unfolded their sad tidings to the landgravine Sophia and the two young princes, Henry and Conrad. The first thought of all, after the first burst of grief was over, was for the young widow, to whom, in her state of weakness, the announcement of her bereavement might, it was feared, be fatal. The landgravine Sophia, whose heart now warmed to one whom her son had so tenderly loved, gave the strictest orders that Elizabeth should be kept in ignorance of the truth till she could recover sufficient strength to bear it, and then she took upon herself the painful task of making it known to her. She went to her daughter's room as if only to pay her a visit of affection on her recovery. Elizabeth, wholly unsuspicious of the object of her coming, received her with respect and affection, and making her sit by the couch on which she was lying, began to converse cheerfully with her. At last, the mother, making a great effort to overcome her emotion, said, Take courage, my dearest child, and be not cast down by what has befallen my son, your husband. By the will of God, to whom, as you know, he has always been perfectly resigned. Elizabeth, seeing that her mother-in-law spoke these words calmly and without shedding a tear, never suspected the extent of her misfortune. But supposing that her husband had been taken prisoner, replied, If my brother had been made prisoner, by the help of God and our friends, he shall be soon ransomed. My father, I am sure, will come to our assistance, and we shall all be happy again. But the landgravine answered, Oh, my dear child, be patient, and take this ring which he has sent you, for to our great sorrow he is dead. Oh, mother, said Elizabeth, what is it you say? He is dead, mournfully repeated the unhappy mother. Oh, my God, my God! cried Elizabeth in a choking voice, turning first pale, then red, and letting her hands fall helplessly on her lap. Then is the whole world dead to me. 
the world and all its joys her brain seemed to have turned by the sudden anguish which had fallen upon her for she began to run wildly through the halls and corridors of the castle crying he is dead 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 she never stopped till she came against the wall of the refectory to which she clung bathed in tears here the landgravine and some of her ladies found her they made her sit down and tried to console her but she only wept and sobbed out these broken words now she repeated incessantly i have lost everything oh my heart's own dearest brother oh my good and pious husband thou art then dead and hast left me in misery how shall i ever learn to live without thee o poor forsaken widow unhappy woman that i am may he who forsakes not the widow and the orphan comfort me o my jesus strengthen me in my weakness end of section 23 recording by shreya sethi